Welcome to the Elijah Fire Podcast, where we jump into issues of today with faith and freedom instead of fear. And now here's your host, Jeff Tharp. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Elijah Fire, episode 49. So I'm fired up about today's episode. This has been um, kind of a while in the making. Our guest today, he's the former vocalist from the band For Today. A lot of you guys know, I'm a big For Today fan. Um, and then he's also the founder and pastor of the Altar Fellowship in Johnson City, Tennessee. Let's welcome our guest today, Maddie Montgomery. Hey, Jeff. Hey, dude. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, man. I'm so glad yeah. to be here. Yeah. So another uh, little piece of trivia for people. You don't know this, obviously, but but when we were praying about this show, what to call it, uh, we're obviously associated with the Elijah List, but I was praying, I was seeking the Lord, and then I actually, he referenced a song from your Breaker album, Seraphim. And it was, uh, he, I, I was praying and I heard it in my head, we are the burning ones who will not be contained. We'll take your flame, ignite the world. And so I was like, okay, fire, fire, the fire of God. Um, and then, yeah, it stuck. So yeah, that's awesome. Elijah Fire was birthed, dude. I love it, man. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. So you, the legacy of your, your music still lives on. Obviously, the Lord still references it with me a lot. So, um, yeah, man, you're you're a blessing to the body of Christ. Oh, thank you, thank you yeah. so much. Jeff. So, uh, why don't you tell the viewers a little bit about yourself? There's some people that have they do not listen to Christian metal. Uh, they've never heard of for today. They've never heard of what you're doing now. You're doing a lot of amazing things now. So, give a, give a little bit about yourself. Yeah, uh, well, I am a husband to my beautiful wife, Candice. We've been together for 13 years now. And uh, we've got three little boys uh, at home. Uh, Kai, who's 10, Caleb, who's eight, and Carver, who is three. Um, We live on a a small farm in a city called Jonesboro, the oldest city in the state of Tennessee, uh, in the northeast corner of the state, where we have some cows and pigs and chickens. And um, I, uh, as you mentioned, I, I was the vocalist of a, a Christian metal band for a long time, uh, and, uh, loved it, man. It was an incredible, uh, opportunity to bring the gospel into places where nobody was bringing the gospel, mm-hmm. uh, and to see the gospel impact some people that desperately needed it. Um, and so, uh, man, it was an amazing time. We got to, I joined the band in 2007 thinking, um, you know, we'll go on a couple tours. I'll get to meet some new people, have some life experience, preach the gospel, and then, and then it'll be time to grow up. But uh, you know, God really grabbed a hold of the thing and and uh, carried it beyond anything we could have ever imagined. We ended up doing, um, I don't know, hundreds of tours, releasing seven studio albums, signing multiple record deals, uh, touring the world, and preaching the gospel to to millions of people uh, because of that platform in bars and nightclubs and some of the least likely places to hear the name of Jesus glorified. So, um, man, it was an incredible time. And in 2016, the Lord uh, called us away from that. And I I didn't, I didn't really know why it it was going great. The band was still doing well, you know, professionally, we all still loved each other. And and it just felt like um, God just said, okay, that's enough, you know, time to move on. And so I went home and, and um, at that point I, I wrote a book and I, I wrote a, a second book at that point, and and uh, I, you know, did some itinerant evangelism. Started a nonprofit, um, traveled around, doing conferences and crusades all over the world for a while. And then in, in 2018, the Lord called me to um, gather the family, as He put it, mm-hmm. and uh, and I knew that 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 looks like planting a church. And mm-hmm. so uh, we, after lots of prayer, the Lord led us to of all places, Johnson City, Tennessee. We'd never been here before. It was purely a God thing. And um, yeah, we moved here in the summer of 2018 and launched the altar fellowship open to the public in January of 2020. Uh, It's going unbelievably well. Uh, God has just been exceeding our expectations. You know, sometimes Mm, when, when you can really see God's hand in a thing, it's, it's when it's like more than the sum total of my efforts, you know, like, I don't know if you have any kids, Jeff, but not yet. There's a, there's this moment when you're raising a child, anyone who's listening, who who has kids um, will understand this. You know, the first few years of their life, everything they say and do and think is, it's just what you taught them. Hmm. Uh, you know, all the words they know how to say, they're words they learned from you. Um, but then when they get to be about five or six years old, 
they get to this point where they start to make their own connections and develop their own opinions and their own unique perspective and worldview. Mm. And, and it's like, I can see the hand of God beginning to work in the life of my children as, as what is coming out of them is actually more than the sum total of things I have taught them over the years. That's how it is with the church as well, man. We, Mm. we are doing our best to pour into these people. We're bringing five loaves and two fish to the table every Sunday and God is just multiplying it. Ask it for us, man. man, People are are moving from all over the world to Mm. little Johnson city, Tennessee, to be a part of what God is doing here at the altar fellowship. And uh, we're just trying to hang on. Yeah. He's, he's running and uh, we're just trying to hang on. So uh, man, it's, it's a lot of fun. We're having a great time. We are loving it. My family's doing well and I get to be home for dinner every night. Come on. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine having been on the road that would have had to have, that had to have been the aspect that was, that would wear on you maybe a little, right? Oh, that was brutal. Yeah, man. I, I remember, you know, our, our farewell tour, um, in the middle of it, we were playing a, a show in Pennsylvania and, uh, back in, in, uh, 2016 and some fan of the band was, was like backstage hanging out after the, uh, after our, our set. And I came off and he said, Hey, you know, why are you guys breaking up? And I said, well, it really boils down to the fact that God has called us to, to just finish. It's, you know, we still love each other, still love the music, still love the shows, mm-hmm. but it's time for us to finish this thing and, and move on to what's next. Um, and I said, but, but for example, it was, I'll never forget. It was September 17th of 2016. I remember that because that was my oldest son's fifth birthday. Oh man. And, um, and, it, and we'd had a party for him like the week before, because I knew I was going to be out of town, but then, um, you know, it was the night of his birthday and I'm telling this, this person, I said, you know, for example, today is my son's fifth birthday and just some random fan of the band. And I just break down in tears as I'm talking mm. to him. And, um, and it just, Man, those moments just uh they add up, you know, and they, well, you they don't get add. those back, you know. You don't get them back. That's no. right. And so uh yeah, so it really was I, a sacrifice though, yeah. you know, what you were doing. And yeah. obviously myself, thousands of other people were impacted by the message that you were you were preaching from the the pulpit, from the yeah. stage <laughs> in these places, but it came at a cost. Right. And yeah. there was a grace for it for a time. Sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, we walked away in, in 2016, and it's been glorious, man. Ever mm. since God has just been multiplying our efforts, and yeah, um, you know, giving blessing my my marriage and my kids, mm. and Come uh, on, man. surrounding us with an amazing, dynamic, vibrant, diverse community of believers here in East Tennessee. That um, you know, I love I love the high impact, high intensity world of like one night only. You've got five minutes to preach the gospel to all of these people, you know, yeah. and this is, this is your one chance to yeah. make an impact that'll last. Um, it, but man, there's something so beautiful about slowing down and really walking the long road with people in a, in an intimate and ongoing sort of way. Uh, that, uh, it's just indescribable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I used to be in missions. Um, and, uh, I used to disciple a lot of young people and, um, there is something to be said about, um, you know, cause we would do like, I don't know if you're familiar with YWAM, but like you do like a discipleship training school and it can be six months mm-hmm. and there's something to be said about that versus going for, uh, four days during spring break, you know, right. and then you go your separate ways, but being there for six months, you see the worst of people. They see the worst of you sometimes, unfortunately, yeah. when you're trying to set an example. There's something to be said about being able to spend an extended period of time with people um, yeah. and even longer. I mean, if you're, man, if you're pastoring a church, you're going to, it's going to be an even longer duration, you right. know? So, right. yeah. So yeah and, beautiful. yeah. and I always say, you know, like the greatest miracle to me is not, you know, yeah. Like a healing can be really cool. You see somebody cancer get healed from somebody's body or whatever, but the greatest miracle man is to see somebody change. That's right. Like to me, because it's like, man, to see a heart, a, a heart of stone turn to flesh is just, come on, man. Like that's, oh, there's, there's nothing like it. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the coolest thing. So, right. yeah. So I wanted to ask you really quick. Um, there's a lot of conversations I've had with people recently. There's a lot of people who are in transition They're mm-hmm. God is calling them out of something into something completely different. It could be the thing that they thought was the thing. 
like this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I was made to do. And all of a sudden the Lord is calling them somewhere else. And you're a walking embodiment of that man. Like there are people who spend their entire lives to, to get into a band that, that is doing something. And they're like, yeah, I'm sure maybe you, maybe you had thoughts like this is it. We're going to be like, we're going to be like the Rolling Stones. We're going to be together forever. Yeah, I don't know. But, um, and then all of a sudden God calls you away. Did you always know that, that you were going to be a pastor at some point? Oh no, I, I swore up and down. I would never pastor a church. Um, I, but when I started in the band, we all knew it was temporary. You can't be, you know, a metalcore kid forever. Yeah, that's a good. Point. Uh, you can't be a hardcore kid forever. So, um, we, you know, we started when we were like in our early twenties, mm-hmm. um, and we just knew at the time this is a young man's game. So mm-hmm. while we're young men, <laughs> let's make yeah. the most of it, right? Let's make it count for eternity. Um, we never knew when it would end. And frankly, I think it lasted a lot longer than any of us expected, at least at first. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, it's a rare thing to see someone finish well. Mm. Um, you know, in my experience, when it comes to like the music industry, for example, there's really only two ways that people finish. You either finish because you hate each other. All the band members hate each other. And it's a big fight, right? To put that yeah. in ministry context, it'd be like a church split. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you finish because when there's a, a split, or um, you, uh, uh, or the band, you know, in, to put it back into into music industry terms, the band um, becomes just irrelevant. There's no fans coming to shows anymore, and you just can't afford to keep going. Um, and so, both of those make it impossible for you to continue but it's extremely rare to find someone who could keep going, who just says the Lord called me away. This Mm -hmm. is it. And, um, and and to be able to finish with dignity, to be able to finish a season with relationships still intact, to be able to walk away gracefully is such a rare. And I think a really precious and beautiful thing, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially and unfortunately in ministry, very few people, um, are willing to read when the writing's on the wall. Yeah. So God in his grace makes it so they don't have a choice, but to go on to what's, to what he's really calling them to. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that process is ugly, man. And, yeah. and you burn bridges and you ruin relationships and you hurt yeah. a lot of people. It's a lot of yeah. damage that comes. Um, and so I would uh, just encourage, as you've been talking with people that are in transition, my encouragement is finish well. Mm, um, if good, you man. can't say I desperately and passionately and truly love the people that I'm with, it's probably not time for you to leave. Right. But if God is calling you away, um, go with blessing, go in agreement, go in peace. Uh, and when you get to the next step, make sure that you honor the step that you came from mm, um, so Good, because you wouldn't be who you are if it weren't for where you've been. Right. Yeah. The sum total of all those, those things and all That's those right character defining moments and, and trials. And I think that's so good, man, because there's, there's been some times where I've wanted to leave things and been like, I had a very forget this attitude. Yeah. I was like, I'm just done. And then the Lord was like, no, no, you're not. Yeah. And, and then the fear of the Lord hits you and you're like, okay, I dare not go any step farther than where I'm at right now. And that's why it's so important to be in his presence to know him to, cause if you're acting in your flesh and that's what you're motivated by all the time, like that's not what it's about that we're supposed to be conformed to his image. So I think that's, I mean, man, like the way that the band, you know, you guys went your separate ways. Everybody saw like how you guys handled it. And then maybe you got some people that were upset or whatever and thought, Oh, they're lying, whatever. They hate each other. You know, I, but I think most everybody saw the example you guys set in reiterating time and again, that you guys still care about each other, oh, yeah. you know? Um, and I think it, we're, it still, shows, we're still on a group, a group text thread. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine like, how could you not, if you've been through an experience like that with, with, with people, how could you not, especially if it ended well, like how could you not still 
talk to each other. You know what I mean? So, I mean, yeah, we lived in a van together for, right. Yeah. Decades, you know, we all got married and everything, yeah. you know, it, it, yeah, it was, uh, uh, some defining years of our lives for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I haven't heard your testimony in a while, so I'm actually kind of excited to hear it again, but why don't you tell people how you, how you came to know the Lord? Oh man, I, um, found a Bible tract in a bathroom stall. No, not really. I didn't. That'd be cool if I did. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, so I was raised in the church and, uh, you know, every time I saw a beautiful sunset, I thought this is it. Jesus is coming back. You know, we're about to get raptured. So I, uh, I sort of lived, they showed me, uh, left behind as a oh, kid. Yeah. We're like, you better give your life to Jesus or yeah. it's going to be bad for you, which yeah. really there are so many problems with the left behind series. Yeah. Don't, don't base your theology on, right. on left behind. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, creative but liberties. Just, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. There, there's a lot of issues, but, uh, I, you know, what I prayed the prayer a million yeah. times. Um, but you know, I, I turned 15 or 16 and you know, I was close enough to church for long enough to have seen a lot of hypocrisy. Mm hmm and uh and a lot of humanity on full display and so i got to 15 or 16 years old and would have friends ask me if i was a christian and i would sort of cringe and him and haw and well you know i think there's a god out there but who really knows mm -hmm. right you know we all just have to do what we feel is right and mm -hmm. i just didn't have any kind of concrete answer no conviction um i was trying to be a christian but i hadn't been born again hadn't been regenerated by the spirit of God. So um, I went off to college and as you do in college, you start hearing all these different ideas about mm -hmm. politics and religion and culture. You know, I'm studying world religion and philosophy and I'm reading all these books and, and uh, new concepts about what God might be like. And um, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I was seeking at the time, I would, I would have said I was seeking universal truth. I wanted to find something that wasn't just true to the old white people that went to the church I grew up in, you know, or, or something that wasn't just true in the old book that we studied on Sunday mornings. Yeah. I want to find something that is true. The, the philosopher Immanuel Kant said for something to be true, it must be true for every man uh, at every, in every world at every time. And, so, and I thought, I think there's some, some validity to that, right? So mm -hmm. if, the, if the, precepts or the principles that are laid out in scripture are true, then we ought to be able to see them at work outside of scripture. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I just start studying universal truth. I'm studying, you know, Plato. I'm reading about, um, uh, I'm reading uh, the Tao the Te Ching by Lao Tzu. I'm mm -hmm. reading about Buddhism. I'm studying all sorts of uh, uh, different ideas, different worldviews. And you know, I, I discover things that are true about gratitude, about charity, about patience or humility. And uh, and I think, first of all, yes, this is true. Everything in me knows this is true. And in fact, the Bible talks about those things too. Hmm. Uh, so every time I, I discover a universal truth, I think, yeah, it's in the Bible too, right? Mm -hmm. And um, there's this nagging feeling. I'm seeing that, you know, Lao Tzu and Muhammad and Plato and, um, you know, uh, every every great philosophical or political voice uh, in the, the history of the world has essentially agreed regarding objective morality. They say things like, every person is made to be kind and humble and patient and loving and generous. But there's this, this thought horrifying thought that I have not been kind and loving and patient and humble and generous. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm reading that everybody knows there's a, a universal objective moral standard, but the part that nobody wants to say out loud is that um, all have fallen short of the glory of God mm -hmm. and the wages of sin is death. It's like, you know, if a shark stops swimming, it dies. If a right. flower uh, or a, a tree doesn't bear fruit, it, it dies. You know, there's there's this uh, inevitable natural law that if a thing doesn't do what it was made to do, it ceases to exist. Like what you're hearing? 
Help us continue to make Elijah Fire and the Elijah Fire podcast possible. To get behind this ministry, visit ElijahFire.com slash donate. Now, back to the show. And uh, and so I'm realizing that everybody agrees there's this universal moral ethic by which we should live. Even still today, atheists, secular humanists, they would all agree, you know, there's that like rape is bad and murder is bad and genocide. Mm-hmm. These things are, are, are bad things. Uh, selfishness, pride. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, the problem is that nobody could offer a solution. Buddha doesn't offer a solution. Mm. Lao Tzu doesn't offer a solution. Muhammad doesn't offer a solution. And my my problem was that the only solution I could find anywhere is that he that knew no sin became sin so that I through him might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, mm. that he, he bore my iniquity on the cross. Um, the only solution in the entire expanse of human history for the issue of sin, universal sin, fundamental human brokenness, is that that the blood of the Lamb has made atonement for us, mm. and that because of his blood, we can be made clean in God's eyes. Mm. And so it sort of backed me into this philosophical corner. Yeah. Everyone was saying, Maddie, you have a problem. Buddha, Muhammad, Lao Tzu, like Plato. Everyone's saying, Maddie, you have a problem. The problem is your sin. And uh, and then on um, in late July, of, uh, I was living on my college campus um, over the summer, working a job on campus. And in late July of 2006, reading a book about Buddhism, and suddenly it's like a window of heaven opens and mm-hmm. you know w- what i would call now like the presence of god just pours out on my head you know it 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 was like my eyes were opened i, I once likened it to waking up in a room full of strangers it was the most wow. unnerving thing realizing suddenly that god was not a concept to be debated mm-hmm. that god was a person a Come personality on. a being that had okay. thoughts toward me and about mm-hmm. me cared about me, that had broken into time and space to come and confront me mm-hmm. in that moment on the steps of my school in Winona, Minnesota in the summer of 2006. And uh, and so I it, I just became suddenly and dramatically aware that I was not alone, mm. and that God is real, and that God could see me and hear me, and that God cared. And, uh, and so I... Um, wrestled with God for about an hour that day, standing on the, the back steps of my college dorm by myself. And I had all these objections, you know, I said, well, I'm not smart enough and I'm not strong enough. And he said, mm-hmm. well, I, I use the foolish things to confound the wise and I use mm-hmm. the weak things to confound the strong. And, um, oh, but I'm so afraid. And he'd say, well, perfect love can cast out fear. You know, every, every objection that I had, um, God had an answer for. Mm. And, uh, and I, you know, at the end of that hour of shaking and sobbing and struggling in the presence of the Lord, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I made a decision for Christ. It was like, I surrendered, you know, like he had, mm. he had had me in a, a headlock for an hour, yeah. finally tapped out and said, fine. I, like, I don't think you can do it. If I'm honest, I don't think you can use me, mm. but but I'll stop fighting and let's just see. And I, uh, I actually quit my job the next day. I went in and and quit my job the next day and moved out of my dorm and spent the rest of that summer hitchhiking around the country. Just, I just needed to disconnect from everything to Hmm. learn about God, to to Hmm. learn to hear God's voice or seek God's presence. And um, just wasn't even sure what that meant, but I just knew I had to get away. And so I, I spent the next month like eating food out of dumpsters and <laughs> you were a freegan as they call oh, it. For sure. Yes. <laughs> uh, it was crazy, man. And that's a whole uh, probably book in itself someday yeah. that trip. But um, you know, I came back from that trip to, to uh, college and I would love to say, I was just on fire, filled with the Holy Spirit, on fire for Jesus. But honestly, man, I had no frame of reference mm. for what a man of God should or could look like. I was just a kid who, well, okay, I know that God is there. I know that God cares. But I have had really no demonstration of biblical Christianity mm-hmm. ever. And so, um, you know, I, I jumped right back into the sin that I was in before. 
But the difference was after that encounter, it's, it's like a shirt that shrunk in the wash. You know, my sin just didn't fit anymore the way it used to used to, I used to be proud of it. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and then I was, I was ashamed of it. I was disgusted by it. And I I didn't really know what else was out there other than compromise and Mm self-destruction. I mean, when you're in college, that's just what you do, right? You compromise and (laughs) self-destruct. But, uh, um, but I, I, yeah, I ended up sort of by and by over the next couple of years, getting into church and getting, um, you know, mentored and finding some older Christians and just saying, Hey, tell me what you have seen God do. I want to know what, what it's like to walk with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and as I grew in my walk with God, um, so did my passion for music. And I'd played music in high school, but I had walked away to go to college. You got to grow up sometime. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, my passion for music grew as I, as I, uh, um, or, or I, I guess it, it regrew as I grew in the Lord. And then in um, October of, or sorry, September of 2007 is when I joined for today, when I joined the band. Um, and so, yeah, man, that's, I, I was born again in uh, late July of 2006 on the steps of my dorm. And it wasn't like a radical, suddenly I live fully for Jesus thing, but it was like, I, I was made a new creation on that day. Wow. And I, I think I'm still learning what it means to, to live as this new always man. going to be you know always yeah, yeah. it's interesting you uh, that happened to you in 2006 i gave my life to the lord in 2004 but it was 2006 for me where i began to feel this gnawing of like god was like kind of like calling me up higher i guess mm-hmm. you know so yeah. it's interesting that you had a very similar time frame of of cu- coming to that conclusion with me it was like you know i was definitely in kind of a very mundane Christian lifestyle. I mean, you know, the, the luster of that initial salvation experience had worn off, uh, you know, and I kind of just got, you're going to get into autopilot. I think that's one of the most, one of the, one of the worst things you can do to your Christian walk is just to get into autopilot, you know, where you just like, you're not really seeking God, you know, and it's sometimes God calls you to do big things, big faith things. And for me, it was getting into missions. And that was like when I began to hear that, like he'd wake me up in the middle of the night and I just like had to be in his presence. I had to be. And it was like he was it was sort of like, obviously, I don't have kids, but it felt a little bit like when you're trying to teach a kid how to walk and you're just out of just out of their reach. And they're like walking, you know, trying to walk towards your hands, you know, and it, yeah. it felt very much like that with yeah. the Lord. And then he was like, okay, now run. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. So, um, but I wanted to talk to you about, because you said um, perfect love casts out all fear, but then also the word says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And you wrote a book called scary God. Why? What's the difference, Maddie? What's the difference between fear and fear? Fearing the Lord versus, you know, <laughs> worldly definition of fear. Why yeah. is it important to fear the Lord? Yeah. Well, um, I did. Yeah, I I wrote eighty thousand words about it. Um, this is uh, an an important topic. Like you said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, the problem is what we teach in the church is not the fear of the Lord. Mm. Uh, we teach, we say, and I'm sure you and many others have heard this, you know, Oh, what it means to fear God. It's not fear in the traditional definition of the word. It's more like respect or reverence, right? Yeah. Um, here's the problem with that. Is the, the Hebrew word for fear is the word yare, which literally translated means terror or horror. Um, it's the word that, so if you remember, God told Adam that the day you eat of the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Those were his words. Mm-hmm. So um, he eats of the, the, the tree and then he hears the Lord walking in the garden and he hides. God mm-hmm. asks him, where are you? And he says, well, I heard you walking in the garden and I knew I was afraid or sorry, I knew I was naked and I was afraid. So I, I hid myself. The word that he uses is yare. Mm-hmm. Um, it's he thought God was coming to kill him, and that's the word he used. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the word that Jacob uses after having conned his brother out of his birthright for a bowl of soup. Uh, he steals his father's blessing and he runs away from the family. And then he hears years later that Esau and Esau's army are looking for him. 
and he uses the word yare to describe the way he he feels. Um, so it's it's if it's the word that people use to describe the feeling you have when someone's coming to murder you, um, I, I don't think that that means fear or re- I don't think it means reverence or respect. Mm-hmm. I think it means actual fear. It's terror. Yeah. So then we have to deal with okay if it if it doesn't just mean respect if it really means fear why why should we fear God what does it even mean to fear God God who is loving and I'll tell you a story to help yeah um to help this go down a little bit because I realize that I'm just I'm throwing stones at uh some at many sermons that your listeners have listened to through the year <laughs> um, so I'll I'll tell a story when I was a little boy skinny little kid living in the Pacific Northwest. My uh, dad, I'm, I'm half black and half white. My dad was, well, he, he passed away when I was eight, but prior to that, he was a, uh, just a, a, a giant of a man, you know, dark black man, thick beard, bald head, an earring in one ear, uh, f- you know, football coach. He was an offensive lineman in, in college, just a monster of a man. And um, there was a, a bully in our apartment complex named, named, uh, uh, his name was Cameron, but I had to change it to, to Brock when I talked about him in the book for legal reasons. So mm-hmm. sorry, Cameron, if you're out there, uh, <laughs> for using a real name. Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so this kid, you know, he's maybe a couple years older than me and he's just decided that he doesn't like me so he can run faster than I can ride my bike. So I try to ride my little bike as fast as my legs will, will take me and I just can't go fast enough. So he chases me down. He, you know, pulls stuff out of my backpack, steals my lunch, takes my money and, um, and beats me up a whole bunch for months. And my mom is saying, well, you know, just ignore him and he'll go away. She's tending to my wounds and giving me kisses and doing things that moms do. But one day I come home after another run in with this kid and, uh, my dad is there that day and I come into the house and my mom knows what's happened. And I've got scraped knees and tears in my eyes. And, uh, and she says, oh, you know, was it Cameron again? And I said, yes. And, and then I hear this thundering voice from the back of our house. He says, son. And my dad just <laughs> storms through the house and he flings open the front door and he says, let's go. We're going to handle this right now. And, uh, and I think my dad's about to murder this kid. <laughs> He's going to kill him. <laughs> uh, and he you know, thunders through the apartment complex and we go out into the courtyard in the middle of the complex where this kid was. And he says, um, you know, he asked me which one he is and he walks up to him and he goes, Cameron. And this kid just freezes. I mean, he's terrified. You know, to me, Cameron was a big kid, but he was like nine years old. Right. He's like some skinny child. And, And my dad walks up to him and I mean, he's just, he's got 200 pounds on this kid, a big dad belly. And, and he, uh, he kneels down to Cameron's level and then he reaches back and he grabs my arm and he pulls me in and he says, Cameron, this is my son. And then he turned to me and he said, son, if he ever puts his hands on you again, you have my permission to knock his teeth out. And then he stands up and he just walks away. Cameron picks up his bike, he and his two little friends and they ride off as well. And he never messed with me again. Wow. Now, if I could have knocked Cameron's teeth out, I already would have. I wasn't tough. You know, he was way bigger than I was, way stronger than I was. Um, You know, my dad giving me permission to knock his teeth out didn't suddenly give me the ability to do it. But Cameron didn't stay away from me because he was scared of me. Cameron stayed away from me because he was scared of my dad. Hmm. And because I had a scary father, I could, with confidence, live in a world where there was a very real enemy out there that would have loved to destroy me. Mm. But despite my own inadequacy, I realized that my father was more than capable to handle mm-hmm. it. And our problem in the church is that, is that because of our salesmanship, we have diminished the terrifying nature of God. Mm. Um and and because we have diminished the terrifying nature of of the divine creator and sustainer of all things uh when people have real problems they think well all god is doing is sitting in heaven begging for my attention right. he, he's not a real help mm. um he he can't handle the, you know when my my kids are walking away from the lord my marriage is hanging on by a thread when 
when it looks like all is lost, when I get a diagnosis from a doctor that I've got six months to live, uh, there's no hope in God. He's not able to handle this. This is too big. You know, this pro- when somebody is, is, you know, strung out on drugs and it's going to take a miracle to bring them home, this is too big for God because God is, you know, we, we've painted this picture of God as being this sort of pathetic, codependent, you know, sappy middle school boyfriend who just is like begging for scraps of our attention. Mm-hmm. The truth is, listen, you know, Ezekiel describes him as being having an appearance from the waist up, like he's burning and from the waist down as well. You know, the book of Revelation describes him as looking like a Jasper and a Sardius stone, like both red translucent stones. Uh, in fact, in, in Exodus, when the 70 elders go up to the top of, uh, of the mountain to meet with him, it says that everywhere he set his feet became like sapphire. Now, mm. there's actually some science to that. That mountain is made of limestone, and you can turn limestone into sapphire. All you have to do is heat it to about 4,000 degrees and burn wow. out all the impurities. Yeah. So so there, the idea is that everywhere, I mean, I'm sure that the people writing this, I'm sure that Moses, as he's writing Exodus, isn't aware of the science behind sure. you know turning limestone. Maybe he saw it. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe right, but he's you know what we're realizing is like there is some there are some physical attributes to God mm-hmm. that are profoundly otherworldly and are I think terrifying is an understatement. Yeah. Um. You know Isaiah sees him and he falls down on his face and starts right. screaming, "Woe is me! I'm undone." Yeah. That's that's King James talk for I'm about to die just because I've looked at him. He didn't even touch yeah. me yet. Right. Yeah. I just my, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the Lord, the king of glory. And so there's this. I mean, there are many dramatic accounts of the, the presence of God, the power of God being in every way horrifying, indescribably scary. And because we have, uh, because most of our pastors conduct themselves more like used car salesmen than mm-hmm. oracles of heaven, mm-hmm. uh, we have said, well, he's not really scary. You know, he's really nice. God loves you. He's, he is, dude. He's yeah. It's like, he's just this cuddly big guy. He just wants yeah. a little bit of your attention. If you'll just pray this prayer, he'll be so happy with you. Yeah. You know, please pity God. And, you know, he died for your sins. Would you just have some pity on him mm-hmm. and just accept him? Just come to church. Uh, as as a favor to God, man, the truth is God does not need us mm-hmm. at all. And, uh, and no matter how scary our situation might be, the, the, how scary the prognosis might be, how hopeless things might look in our marriage or in our family or our finances. Uh, we have got a father who is absolutely able to handle whatever enemy would be foolish enough to come against us. Mm, and, um, you know, I'm not the hero of the story. My, my dad is, right. <laughs> my, my father in heaven is, yeah. you know, the, the, the enemy is not scared of me. He's really not. No matter what mm-hmm. the songs I used to sing in my band may say, the enemy, <laughs> he's, he's really not intimidated by me, but yeah. he doesn't stand a chance against my father. Amen. And, uh, and so if we can, as a church, if we can understand just how scary our father in heaven really is and, and recognize that, that there's a difference between being scary and being cruel right? That, that God being scary doesn't mean that he's tyrannical or maniacal. It doesn't mean that he's out to, to harm or, uh, or maim or, or mutilate anybody. God in his awesome holiness is still entirely full of love and compassion, mm-hmm. grace and long suffering. And so the same God that is able to, you know, the Bible says that in, in the, the last day that um, people will, will, will cry to the mountains to fall on them and hide them from the wrath of the lamb. Hmm. I think like, that's not, that's not the God that we, <laughs> that, that we teach in Sunday school. Yeah. Um, but if, if we can understand the intensity, the fierceness, the violent force of just the presence and power of God, then um, we can realize that if God is for us, who could ever possibly be against us? Right. Yeah. I think that's great. Now, what would you say to somebody who goes, Maddie, I hear you, I hear you, and they don't know the Lord. They're like, I hear you, but I don't want to know somebody. I, I don't want to worship a God who's like, you know, it, that seems uh, self-centered. That seems 
Uh, like, what would you say to people that, that said, I'm sure you've had people say that to you before. What would you say? To that, that, um, that like God demanding worship is self. Yeah. Yeah. And then even just like, even with the revelation now, say they've never really fully grasped it. Now they're getting, okay. Yeah. I I hear what you're saying in regards to his power and how scary he is. No, thanks. Help Elijah Fire continue to make an impact around the world. All donations go toward making Elijah Fire and the Elijah Fire podcast possible. Visit ElijahFire.com slash donate and become a partner today. Well, you know, I I think the first thing I would say is you don't get to choose who God is, Mm -hmm. right? Um, One of the most dangerous uh, phrases that I hear used regularly in church is, is uh, something like my Jesus or my God, you know, these right. other guys, they say God's like this, but my Jesus would never do that. Well, right. Like Jesus is who Jesus is. God is right. who God is. And yeah. uh, you know, we don't, we don't get, we don't get to to build God in our image, right? Mm-hmm. God has made us in, in his image. And so um, I think that would be my first point. But the second point would be um, uh, there's this sort of, dual um this uh this sort of duality that i i think many of us fail to consider that god god demands worship from us mm-hmm. uh, and god deserves worship from us mm-hmm. uh, but on top of that god also designed us and he designed us to worship him mm-hmm. it would be like uh you know we've got like i said we've got three little boys and uh they love to fight with their mother uh over meals and um you know they could they could say, Mom, I don't want to eat your chicken tonight. You know, you made us chicken, and I don't want to eat that. Uh, and she could say, Well, hey, listen, please eat the chicken. It would really mean a lot to me. I worked really hard to make it for you. You know, could you please come and take some bites of the chicken? Now, all of that is true, and I think that's a good motivator. However, uh, that chicken is also going to keep them alive for the next day, right? It's like you need food to survive. Mm -hmm. And so um, you could rebel against the chicken because you feel like, oh, mom's so selfish. You know, she makes all these meals and she (laughs) just to eat them to make her feel good. She gets to decide what I eat. Right. But that's not all there is to it. Like she's demanding that you eat her meals because food keeps you alive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the truth is that that the human heart was created to worship. And if we try to withhold worship from God, we end up worshiping ourselves. We end up worshiping our government. We end up worshiping, um, you know, celebrities or mm-hmm. uh, hobbies or other passions that we may have. We exalt other things and we give ourselves fully to those things. So, you know, refusing to worship doesn't um, doesn't change the fact that you will bow before things. It just changes the things that you bow before. But the truth mm-hmm. is that every human heart was designed to worship Yahweh God. Yeah, I think that's right. And that good. you will never find any satisfaction apart from him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, people can say, hey, I don't want to do that. It's like, that's fine, but you should know ahead of time, you will never be fully satisfied. Yeah. You'll never be complete. There is a piece of you that will always cry out to step into your highest and your first calling. And your highest and first calling is to be a worshiper of God. Amen. Yeah, I never thought of it that way, actually. You said it really well, that that everybody's worshiping something. And it is definitely evidence that we were made to worship, yeah. but worshiping the right something, in that case, it is Yahweh himself. Yeah. You know, I, I'd never thought of it like that. I think that's a really, really great, great explanation. So... Yeah. So um, you also had a couple of other notes in here. I'm seeing that I wanted to hit on about marriage and family. Let's talk okay. about that. Like what's going on in the world with marriage and family, Maddie? <laughs> oh, uh, well, I can only tell you the way that I see it. You know, yeah, I'll go for I it. I think, um, you know, our church at the altar fellowship, I felt like God gave me a word at the very beginning of our ministry here. He said, Maddie, I want you to focus on two things. And I want those two things to be worship and family. Mm. And if, because if you can do those two things, well, everything else will come, you know, for years prior to, to stepping into pastoral ministry, I was a traveling evangelist. I would do conferences and crusades and um, outreach events and things all over the world. 
And I found for years prior to stepping into pastoral ministry that even in an evangelistic seat, that the vast majority of my messages were about worship or family. Because the truth is, the church um, is, is an institution established by God to exemplify the message of the kingdom to a world that needs to hear that message. And we have structured the church, the local church, to look like a corporation. Like mm-hmm. you've got a CEO. Yeah. Uh, we call him a pastor, you know, and he gets hired by a board. And the board's primary concern is the shareholders, right? Those would be the church members. And if the shareholders aren't happy because the CEO, you know, started doing contemporary worship instead of traditional, or he changed the color of the carpet, or he, you know, put in a new sound system or whatever, uh, they can uh, just, the board members will fire the CEO and get another one that'll keep the shareholders happy. Uh, That's corporate. That's Mm -hmm. the system of the world. God's institution is not a corporation. God's institution is a family. Mm-hmm. With a with fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters mm-hmm. and sons and daughters, and um, and so I think in the church we have lost the revelation of the sanctity of family. I think mm-hmm. in Western culture we've lost the revelation of the sanctity of family. Mm-hmm. The reason that God established family is because it is. It is the structure that is intended to uh, undergird the uh, advancement of human culture. You know, a father and mother that are in a mutually loving and committed relationship, raising the next generation to be better than them. That's the way that the world is supposed to work. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, liberal sexuality. Um, you know, liberal laws regarding marriage and mm-hmm. childcare. Um, and I don't, when I say liberal, I don't mean like politically left wing. I mean, liberal, like just do whatever feels right to you. Mm-hmm. Um, approaches toward fatherhood, especially, um, financial responsibility. All of these things have led to um, a, a culture that is falling apart. There are 20 million kids in the United States alone that are being raised in a home without a father. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not counting the ones that are being raised in a home with a father who's emotionally absent or abusive or neglectful in, in any other way. 20 million kids have no dad speaking into their life. And um, that's just in our nation. And so there's all these policies and all these things that have been contributing to this. But the truth is, man, I think, um, I think the church is, is supposed to be the, uh, the demonstration of the glory of God's design. We're we're supposed to be the evidence the world can point to and say, that's how I know the Bible is true. Mm. That's how I know that God really is. And he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek it, seek him. Because when I look at these Christian people, their marriages are happier. Their kids are healthier. They get better mm-hmm. grades in school. You know, they, mm-hmm. they, uh, these Christians are, are blessing the, their, the, their coworkers, the people that work around them are more full of joy and peace. These people aren't, uh, constantly in fear and anxiety. They're not constantly overwhelmed and, and afraid. You know, these people are just different people. They're full of hope all the time. They're full of life and joy and peace mm-hmm. all the time. They should be able to look at our families and see that the message of the kingdom is, is different. And that just hasn't been the case. Yeah, uh, We as a church have allowed the world to disciple us mm. regarding the way we prioritize and approach family. Yeah, You know, we look at celebrity marriages more than we look at our pastor's marriage. Come on. You know, we, we look at, um, you know, Instagram, Instagram parenthood pages more than we look into the pages. All the highlights. Of- yeah. Yeah. The right. highlights. Yeah. You know, and some like who knows who these people are and, and what kind of opinions they have or where those opinions are coming from. Like yeah. God has given us instructions in his word yeah. regarding how to raise children, how to how to build a brighter future. Amen. And um and the church has in many ways we've 
we've abdicated what should be a position of leadership. Uh, and, and we've allowed leadership to go to entertainers and politicians. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and, and I think we need to start leading again. And it starts in family. It's going to start mm-hmm. with the way that we value and fight for our marriages. It's going to start with mm-hmm. the way that we love and lead our children. And if we can do that, man, we can shape the future. Yeah. Yeah. I, and that's interesting too, because I was talking to my wife last night. I was listening to some, um, some Christians on a, on some kind of like a podcast or something. And, and they were, they were, they were describing, <laughs> they were describing Christians that are contending for righteousness and what God's God's values, essentially God, God is all about family. Like yeah. it's, and that's the thing that the enemy is working towards dismantling. And I think we see that a lot in our culture and this person this, this person who professes to be a Christian was like rolling their eyes and they were like, oh gosh, I call these people crotch Christians where they only focus on anything that has to do with the crotch, whether it's, whether it's abortion, whether it's this, this or that, or this, or that. I'm like, guys, like the, God is so much about family and, and the, these things that you're rolling your eyes about are the very things that the enemy's using to try and dismantle this image yeah. of family that God has created. Well, and honestly, man, this may seem a little crude, but the truth is um, you can't claim that Jesus is the Lord of your life if he's not also the Lord of your crotch. Right? Right. <laughs> Amen, dude. So, so maybe people are focusing on one particular area of your being, but like, yeah. you know, you can't you can't say, uh, oh, no, I'll do whatever I want with that part of me. Right. But every other part of me, Jesus gets that. Like, it's yeah. not how it works, man. He gets yeah. it's all or nothing. Yeah. And I think that there's a, there is a lot of that going on right now where it's when they go, Oh, well, you know, in my opinion, the, with, with, I'm like, see, that's where we, that's where we, we get into, the, we get into trouble when we start saying my opinion. I'm like, the yeah. goal is not, the goal is to be conformed to his image. Yes. It is not to go, Oh, well, I'm okay with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little bit extreme. We are not called to edit the the word of God. We are called to adhere to it. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, it's that that aspect just absolutely boggles my mind. And honestly, Jeff, you're sounding like a real bigot right now. Okay. Well, you know, (laughs) uh, then I welcome it. I'm just playing. (laughs) I know. I know. I'm sure you've been called that. (laughs) Oh, so many times. The the interesting thing is, man, like I have an infinite, uh, you know. I have I have a, an infinite amount of patience and grace for people who are struggling in whatever way they're struggling. Sure. You know, if, if they're struggling with same sex attraction, then like, come on, let's struggle together. You know, it's like I get it. You know, we all have flesh that we're carrying around everywhere that we go. If they're struggling with, you know, depression or with thoughts of suicide, with substance abuse, whatever, um, like w- we're with it. You know, if they're struggling with gender identity man, like no worries, come and hang with me. And so because of that, uh, there've been some really sort of fundamentalist conservative Christians that are like, dude, you're too, you know, you're too liberal. You know, you can't, you can't be so open to these people, let them into your church and let them into your life and into your home and your family. But, um, but I also simply refuse to stop preaching God's standards regarding family and sexuality and, um, uh, and, and, personal, uh, uh, government and stewardship, uh, self-control. And so, um, you know, then I've got people on the other side of things that say like, well, you're a bigot and, and you're, you know, too close minded. And, uh, so I, listen, I just, um, you know, I had a young man tell me years ago, he said, pastor, I'm, I'm struggling with, uh, pornography. And, uh, he's like, could you just pray a prayer for me or, or give me some advice or something? And I said, well, here's my advice for you. Keep struggling. Um, you know, the, it's it, the struggle itself is a noble undertaking. And I believe that a day is coming when God's going to get James 4, 7 says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So I believe there's a day coming that you're going to get some breakthrough in the enemy mm-hmm. that is tempting you in this way. Man, he's, he's going to flee from you. But it's not the person who struggles that I... Um, am am most concerned about the person i'm most concerned about is the one who instead of struggling just invents 
some other theology that accommodates their wet noodle, their personal desire. The person yeah. that just says, yeah, well, this is what I like. So it must be what God wants for me. Right. And yeah. uh, man, the world would be a dangerous place if, uh, if that's how all, all Christians approached life. Yeah. I think that's an important thing to, to, to acknowledge is if you're struggling, that means that you're actually engaging with this thing versus just going, letting it happen to you, you know, and just you can't like lower the standard toss, toss to and fro That's by right. the waves as it were, right. you know? Yeah. So. yeah. We cannot lower the standard of God's word and yeah. we may not always meet that standard, right. but we, we can't pretend like the standard is anything other than what God's word says it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I kind of going back to my original point, it, I think, it's really important to not, because I've actually had conversations with people where we get into it, Christians, and they're like, well, that's your opinion. And I'm like, no, it's actually not my opinion at all. If, if, right. it, if it were up to me just going with my flesh and what my flesh wanted to do, well, I know what that looks like. Yeah. You know? Um, oh, yeah. You know, it's like, th this isn't what my flesh wants to do. You know, like this is this is the truth. This is what God wants of me. This is what God's asking of all of us. So I think, I think that's really important. And, and we definitely live in an era where, Oh, that's your opinion is very much, you know, the right. commonplace <laughs> response to things <laughs> that we, disagree with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I just think that the thing that is so important is, is, is holiness is, okay. is that pursuit of God and allowing it to change and, Something I often say on this show is if if in if in studying this in and applying this to your life, if your life doesn't look measurably different from one year to the next, then you you're doing it wrong. You know, like if you're just oh, that's enough. No, nah, I'm good where I am. I'm just gonna camp here, God. If you don't mind, I'm yeah. cool here. You know, um. So yeah. Well, Maddie, man, God bless you, man. This oh, is this you, is great. Man. Um. Can you do me a favor? Can you just pray? For oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Man, I'd be honored. Yeah. Thank you. Father, I thank you that there is not one person listening to this right now that hasn't been divinely ordained to be doing so. I thank you, God, that you see them right where they're at, uh, in their car, in their workplace, in their bedroom, in the gym, wherever they may be listening. And I thank you that you see them, that your presence and your power are with them. God, I thank you that... Um, that you, even, even before they ever said yes to you, that you saw them in their sin and their destruction, that you saw them in their weakness and their frailty, and you said, I'll take this one. Mm -hmm. That you knew what your yes to them would cost, and you still said it. God, I thank you for your incredible love. I pray that you would continue to work in all of us the image and the likeness of your son. God, cause us to be as invisible as we possibly can, God, so that the world, when they look at us, they could see Jesus. God, I plead the blood right now over every mind, over every life, over every heart, over every household, over every ministry, over every calling or career, over every future and every family under the sound of my voice. I pray that you would pour out the anointing of your Holy Spirit on them. Cause them to... Uh, to walk in righteousness, peace, and joy in your Holy Spirit all the days of their life, God. I pray that you'd fill their homes with your presence, that you'd fill their, their, their mouths with your, your love, God. I pray that everywhere they go, they would boldly proclaim your love, your grace, your mercy, your patience, and your kindness to anyone who would listen. God, I thank you for all those who are listening. I thank you, God, for this divine moment, this Kairos moment into which you brought us. And I pray that this moment would not just come and go, this would not be lost, but that this, uh, that everything Jesus died for would become a reality in the lives of every person under the sound of my voice, God. And I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 So, Maddie, how can people follow you? How can they follow the Altar Fellowship? What are some good places for them to, yeah, to find uh, you guys? They, so, the Altar Fellowship is on Instagram, Facebook. I don't think we have a Twitter, uh, but they can go to the Altar, A L T A R, the Altar Fellowship. Um, oh, they can go to the altar.org. I think also the altar fellowship.com, but yeah, they can go to the altar fellowship on Instagram or Facebook, or they can go to the altar.org. Uh, and from there you can find out about our national conference, about our worship bands, 
upcoming album release, um, you know, new podcasts uh, every week, you know, new things coming all the time. So yeah, people can go to the altar, A-L-T-A-R.org to find out more. There you go. And then also everybody, we're going to put a link to the Scary God book by Maddie in the description. All of that, you guys know the drill, all of what he listed. My producer's really good. She just wrote down everything you just said, Maddie. So all that stuff is going to be in the description. You guys can just click those links and go like, subscribe, all that good stuff. So Maddie, thank you so much, man. It was great. Thank you for having me, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. So everybody, that's our show. Have a blessed, blessed day. Go spend some time with the Lord. Go do something you love. All that good stuff. God bless. This has been Elijah Fire. Thanks for listening. For more episodes like this, you can check out the Elijah Fire podcast on ElijahFire.com, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can watch us live every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific time on YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook. Elijah Fire is presented by Elijah Streams and is part of Elijah List Ministries. Click the link in the description for more info on how you can donate today. 